Hello, welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast, Dave and Pastor Merritt. Today we will be on Daniel Lesson 11, and we got most of the way through that lesson last week. We'll be starting at the top of page 9, and we'll also be the beginning of chapter 2. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pause and use the provisions of 1 John 1, 9, which says that if we name our sin back to you, we will be completely under the control of God the Holy Spirit and thus capable of learning. So here we go. Like I, like I mentioned, the start of uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Daniel 2, 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep broke from him. In the NIV it reads, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. In his third year, just after he was examined, or he has examined Daniel, the king has a distressing series of dreams. In the church age, everything God wants us to know has been communicated in the completed canon of Scripture. In contrast, however, before that completed canon, God communicated his will in various ways. The written word, as it then existed, and take us over with Verse 2. All right, Daniel 2, 2. In the first year of his reign, all right, Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. All right, now then, let's take a look at the spoken word. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. All right. He was going to send old Daniel, and he would do various things. One of them was, of course, to translate for us or to provide for us in various ways information, like, for example, through and by means of dreams. Genesis 20 Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech, king of Gerar, in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. 
Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? But did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Wow. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you do you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So how did he communicate? Well, we've seen already through dreams. Now we see in visions. For example, Genesis 40, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 13, with a break at verse 5. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now we're going to have some good, sound doctrine from old Joseph conveyed in the custody of the captain of the guard while he was in prison. Now let's drop down to verse 5. The cupbearer, that would be the guy that takes care of the wine, and the baker of the king of Egypt who were held in prison had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Drop down from verse 5 to verse 8. There is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. This is what the dream means, Joseph said to him. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. 
and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Cup, excuse me, cupbearer. David, don't you know it made him happy? No, he was in prison and now by way of dreams he's going to get out. All right, how else does he communicate? Well, not only dreams, but through angelic teaching. Genesis 16, beginning in verse 7 and reading through verse 10. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, that was Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither, whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit myself unto her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will modify, excuse me, multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. There is apparently one dream which bothered Nebuchadnezzar greatly. The king, however, is unable to recall his dream, and though he can't recall or recollect, the dream has left him. It left him anxious and in a state of dread. Here was a man who had conquered Assyria, Egypt, and Judah, effectively the world a man who had everything, and yet we find him pacing the floor, pained and in a state of anxiety and unrest. There is a principle here. Neither position of greatness nor personal ability nor wealth can provide peace of mind. True stability comes from Bible doctrine in the soul. Nebuchadnezzar panics and begins to call out for help. He calls upon what he might or what we might think of as a strange state department. You want to tell us about Daniel and if we look back at chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us Nebuchadnezzar's think tank consists of magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers. Let's take a look at these three classifications of court officials. In the KJV, verse 2, chapter 2, then the king commanded all, or the commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. For to shew the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the NIV says, So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him 
what he had dreamed when they came in and stood before the king. Magicians. Chartumimim in the Chaldean language means those who write with a pen. They were the scribes who wrote in hieroglyphics. They recorded and filed all the secrets of the Chaldean region as well as laws, contracts, and so forth. This legal quote-unquote department, brilliant in administration, was consulted because the king hoped they could find some precedent on which to base the interpretation of his dreams. Astrologers. Ashpamim, in the Chaldean language, means those who whisper and breathe, those who blow. They were those who perform incantations, the mumbo-jumbo people. Yeah, we still have those everywhere around here we do don't we (laughs) these men were also highly trained in science mathematics and astrology their skills were used as a cover for predicting the actions of other nations actually historians tell us they engaged in espionage and functioned as an intelligence agency they were demonically guided, was no doubt true. Sorcerer, sorcerers is a translation from mekashifim, a Chaldean word for those who were influ, influential in handling people. Today we call them the Human Resource Department, our public relations personnel. Oh. <laughs> They entertained visiting dignitaries. They also practiced the occult art of necromancy and witchcraft. Chaldeans is a translation from the Chaldean word kasdim, meaning those belonging to the priestly castle, a holdover from the conquered Medes and early Babylonians. Through witchcraft and adultery, they kept the citizenry under control. They were exceedingly powerful and served like a, as a Gestapo or what used to be called the KGB. Soothsayers, Gazarim in the Chaldean language means those who foretold the future. The Cambridge Ancient History, Volume 3, has this to say. Superstition had made men's lives a burden. The king, as head of the state, was hedged about with religious formalities. He would ask oracles whenever he was undertaking a new expedition. But the innumerable omen tablets which forecasted events demonstrated how the common people trusted such books of fate. And it was clearly not only the king who tried to peer into the future. The power of the party of clerics, under various names, was admitted by Nabopolassar and Nebuchadnezzar, the clerics even would blackmail the king himself. Nebuchadnezzar often assented to the itching palms of the clergy, and he took care to court their favor. That's so very, very interesting how times have changed and how they haven't. Let's review the dialogue between the king and the magic men. Chapter 2, verse 3. He said unto them, 
or said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered, The king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Rubble. Uh-oh, you're right. <laughs> In other words, he says any old fool can tell you what the dream means. If he, they know the dream, but he says, you tell me the dream, and then you tell me. Yeah. Wow. He's a real taskmaster, isn't he, David? We're going to continue on uh, into Lesson 12, get started there. We will be... Uh, down starting at the bottom third of page four, if you're following along with the outline of lesson 12, uh, with verse three. Pastor Merritt, take it away. Daniel 2, 3. Now let's see what principles we can learn from verse three. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. But he said unto them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. It would seem from the context the king has forgotten his dream, or maybe, David, he's just doesn't quite trust this interpreter's there are those who do not believe the king forgot his dream. Colonel R.B. Thing, for example, writes, he remembered its contents. In fact, he could think of nothing else. The reason he did not reveal his dream was that he knew his staff would not hesitate to fabricate an interpretation if necessary. However, if they could tell him the content of the dream, he in turn could rely on the accuracy of his interpretation. It is certainly possible Nebuchadnezzar had previously encountered problems with his astrologers and the king had lacked confidence in them. Well, whatever is true, the king is not telling. If the wise men do not come up with an answer, there will be hell to pay. Now let's move to verse 4 of chapter 2. Here we go. Then spoke the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. Now let's see how the NIV translates that. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
Now in the King James Version, we have mentioned that the scholars answered the king in Syriac. You can see the NIV translates Arami, meaning Aramean, as Aramaic. In my earlier introduction, I taught that the book of Daniel was written in both Hebrew and Chaldean. The Chaldean language is actually Eastern Aramaic because this portion of scripture deals primarily with Gentile nations. A Gentile language is used from Daniel 2 verse 4 through Daniel chapter 7. After chapter 7, we find the Hebrew language is preserved. This because these scriptures deal again with Israel. The phrase, O king, live forever, is the standard greeting to royalty, a greeting of deference designed to demonstrate subordination and kowtowing. The rest of the verse may prove how well Nebuchadnezzar knew these men. The king doubts their abilities, and this doubt may have sprung from more than one past bad experience. Now let's look at the king's response and edict. Daniel 2 Five first in the KJV. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known to me the dream with the interpretation, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Well, let's see what the NIV says. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. The phrase translated in the KJV, The thing is gone from me has been corrected in the NIV. It is literally, I have made a decree, and when a Babylonian king made a decree, that was it. Even he could not change it. This was not so much a Babylonian custom as it was a Middle Eastern custom. For we see it later in the case of the Persian kings. In the book of Esther, when Ahuzeres, or Ahazuerus, decreed all the Jews were to be killed, he could not reverse it. He could, however, and did let Mordecai prepare another decree for Ahazuerus' signature. Well, that's pretty smart the latter permitting the Jews to arm and then defend themselves. The courage of Esther, the wisdom of her uncle Mordecai, 
and the favorable outcome in which the Jews successfully defended themselves against Persian annihilation is celebrated even today at the Feast of Purim. They do an interesting thing there, David. They Kids all like to see the bad guy and the good guy, and when the bad guy comes on the stage, they do their feet like that, and vice versa for the good guys. But that's another matter. That can be found in the customs of Israel even today. All right, here we go. Nebuchadnezzar was out of control, for he either could not recall the dream, which bothered him the most, or he could think of nothing else, and out of distrust of the soothsayer staff, he chose not to reveal its contents. The dream was the one in which he saw a giant statue. Oh, this is a famous chapter. It had a head of gold. Its arms and chest were of silver. Its waist and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. Its feet were made of part iron and part clay. Perhaps the king did not re, excuse me, reveal the contents of the dream because he knew the staff in their own self-interest would not hesitate to fabricate an interpretation if necessary. This, David, you take over there. All right. The violent man on the verge of insanity had already decreed an irrevocable death sentence to the Chaldean and Hebrew diviners and prophets. Unless, of course, they came up first with the dream and then the interpretation. It's going to be tough. <laughs> Yes, it sure is. I got to read your mind and then tell you what I think you want to believe it says. Yeah. His decree was not only one of death for the diviners on his staff, but their families were also to be executed by cutting them up in little pieces. And this meant their wives, their children, and their servants. Honey, why don't you pack the bags and go visit your brother? <laughs> In this case, the family slain together does not always stay together. The reason a Middle Eastern monarch of this period could not revoke an official decision is because as God, he could not make a mistake. Therefore, a future alteration would be admission, an admission that God had made an error and thus he was not omnip omnipotent and therefore, maybe, some might believe, he was not a god. The decree illustrates how ruthless a great man can become when he is plagued with the mental attitude sins of adultery, fear, and worry. It's starting to get thick. Yes, it is. That concludes Lesson 12. Oh, as always, thanks for being here. Uh, Pastor Merrick, close us in a prayer. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of studying Daniel. We're grateful for being able to take a look at what happened in Daniel's life, 
as it related to the king and how important it was. And that statue is going to be so very famous because it will predict what will happen to the nations from this point on and will people will marvel what the head meant all the way down to the feet and we have on our website a chart that shows the statue and it shows what each meant from the head down to the toes truly a marvel so thank you for the privilege of being able to study again Daniel and the meaning of the great giant golden statue. All right, David, back to you. As always, if there's anyone out there with Jesus without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's easy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Come back next week. Name back those sins. Let's pick up some doctrine. Until next time. So long.